From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. In my lifetime, I've witnessed a terrible decline in yours. You could and should witness a wonderful recovery. That desperate hope, ladies and gentlemen, delicate excellency, is why the world is looking to you and why you are here. Leaders of over 190 countries are meeting at Glasgow for Conference of the Parties, or COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference that runs from 31st October to 12th November. The big news from India, and which has implications for the entire world, came when Prime Minister Modi announced India's deadline for net zero emissions by 2070. So far, India has been the only major emitter that had not committed to a deadline about neutralizing its carbon dioxide emissions that are the big contributors to global warming. It's 6.30 a.m. in Glasgow when I wake up my colleague Vishwa Mohan and the UK-based journalist Danish Khan who are independently reporting on the conference and ask them to lay out the big picture emerging from COP26. I asked Vishwa Mohan, who reports on climate and environment for the Times of India and who is attending his 8th COP meeting, on whether there is a greater sense of urgency in Glasgow from world leaders as compared to the previous climate summits. After Paris, uh, there has been significant demand from the scientists, uh, obviously in the backdrop of IPCC report, because this is the scientific report, uh, that keeping uh, temperature by uh, up to 2 degrees Celsius uh, by 21st century, by the end of the 21st century, would not be enough. Uh, We have to contain it to 1.5 degree uh, Celsius rise. So we have to keep it within 1.5 degrees Celsius rise. So in this uh, context, uh, the countries have started moving towards upgrading their uh, emission targets. And uh, uh, that's why this COP was very significant because all the affluent nations wanted uh, the developing countries to come on board to commit to 2050 net zero goal. Net zero uh, means whatever you emit in the environment, you just reduce the similar amount of the similar quantity of carbon uh, from the environment. So the uh, emission would be zero. It's It's a stage of carbon neutrality. Prime Minister Modi's announcement that India uh, would have net zero emission target by 2070. So far, we had been fairly reluctant to commit to a date. What changed that? India is only, only I can say, only big economy and uh, in very handful of countries who are on track to fulfill their 2015 commitment. So India has been insisting to fulfill whatever they committed in Paris instead of just shifting the goal from 2030 to 2050. Uh, so India's argument was action on the ground, not just the big, big promises. Uh, because uh, we we knew that even during the pre-2020 period, a lot of countries have committed a lot of things, but they backed out. India doesn't want to seem uh, like uh, outlier here. And that's why... Uh, India committed the 2070 uh, net zero goal and backed it with enhanced climate action by 2030. Uh, obviously, 
China will become the net zero uh, by 2060. China emits a lot, much more than India. And India has committed 2070. So it's fair enough. And uh, when you look at the timelines, what India has given for this 2030, it's quite significant and it's very ambitious. In 2015, uh, India promised that uh, the contribution of renewable energy uh, or non-fossil fuel in total uh, electricity demand, total energy demand would be 40% by 2030. Now this limit has been increased to 50%. So that is quite significant. Secondly, uh, India said it will increase the 50% of its energy requirement from the uh, renewable energy by 2030. Uh, in 2015, India said uh, it would be 40% uh, in the total energy mix. Now it has increased to 50%. So that's also significant. Thirdly, India said uh, it will reduce the total projected carbon emission by 1 million tons from now onwards till 2030. Uh, as I said, this is very, very significant because so far India has not talked about reduction uh, in absolute terms. This is for the first time India has talked about the carbon emission reduction in absolute terms. And the fifth one, as you know, that India has committed among among these five uh, commitments, India the fifth one is fifth one, and the uh, most, uh, in fact, talked about is the uh, India's net zero goal by 2070. When we call net zero, uh, that means net zero goal by 2070. That means India will become carbon neutral by 2070, and uh, this is significant uh, uh, because and and the prime minister said all these five. Goals are Panchamris, the five elixirs. We say no more blah, blah, blah. No more exploitation of people and nature and the planet. No more exploitation. No more blah, blah, blah. All those promises will be nothing but blah, blah, blah. To coin a phrase. And the anger and the impatience of the world will be uncontainable. For all his high-mindedness, the phrase that's got popular fancy at Glasgow is blah, blah, blah. And while indeed there's a lot of verbiage, Danish Khan says the mood of the conference is mixed. The fault lines between the developed world, who are the big emitters, and the developing global south are quite pronounced. And yet, he says, there is incremental progress. The mood is mixed. Uh, we met uh, several uh, activists, delegates and also protesters, but there is hope time. There is also a greater awareness of the divide that is there between the developed countries and the developing countries. And it has come out in the open much more starkly here uh, than it was perhaps during the Paris summit, uh, which essentially was also a groundbreaking uh, uh, climate conference. The uh, fourth line, as I said, seems to be now driving this uh, uh, this this climate summit and that is where the uh, uh, major countries are trying to work to ensure that this divide is not something that leads to a failure that leads to disappointments and uh, basically it is this uh, underlying uh, conflict for want of a better word is what seems to be driving the the conference it is also a celebration of the world as a community. There is tremendous anticipation, excitement, but people are also not uh, very uh, keen uh, in, uh, in thinking that 
there will be a magic wand or at the end of the conference there will be something which will uh, you know provide uh, a, a quick fix a solution boris johnson in his speech sketched a pretty apocalyptic scenario uh, with regards to climate change and so did joe biden president biden who spoke about the very small window the world has to kind of pull back from the abyss now but how are these countries so far backing up their words I mean the actually I was speaking to a a foreign delegate uh, here uh, from Europe and he told me that it's uh, I mean it's ridiculous that the cop has just begun and you have the UK prime minister already coming up with all sorts of uh, very fertile and imaginative comparisons that he's been making uh, the world is 5-1 down at half time and it's just a minute to go and you know all all sorts of imagery I mean uh we understand he's very good and he has a flourish uh with words but uh, uh frankly speaking uh, the the conference has just begun and uh, it there is a long way to go uh maybe he's preparing for the worst we don't know but uh, it is a bit out of place there are far more countries who are, who are uh, members uh, and are attending cop26 than the g20 and they have to consider their Uh, issues they have to consider their entry cases and factor in and then work together so uh, yes I and mean, even joe biden but as i said it's also preparing for the worst it's also uh, a ploy to not raise hopes too high between paris and glasgow uh, it's almost 6 years apart what kind of changes do you see as an activist told me the delays are still there it's a big and huge cultural shift and as i said that climate change is all about uh, societies local communities and the culture that uh, that drives those economies that drives the people and if there is awareness that is clearly half the battle won so by that yardstick glasgow uh, from paris is a long way but surely we have to go much further danish you spoke earlier about the discernible divide between the developed world and the developing countries on net zero emissions now while we've heard leaders of the developed world talk with great urgency but on ground the actions don't seem to be matching the sense of urgency for instance a climate change fund or or the kind of commitment that the developed world needs to make they're still falling short of that absolutely in fact alok sharma who has been the mover and shaker behind cop26 uh, the former uk cabinet minister accepted uh, very candidly that the 100 billion dollar that was promised to the developing countries uh, has not been delivered and that it has been uh, uh, a cause of concern because it shows that the developed world has not done and needs to do much more because there is no green switch uh the developing countries need the support financial technical and they need to be given the time to make that shift and unless that happens uh, everything will be hollow so uh, so that is a key uh, fault line but also as i said that the developing countries have not even reached the peak emissions industrialization commercialization kicked in uh, the western countries and the wealthier nations much earlier as a result they are where they are and the countries in the in the developed in the global south uh, have still a long way to go and then if you add emissions norms to them then it sounds a bit unfair but i think there is awareness of that the question is 
how uh, do you address that and how do you address that in a just and equitable way friends climate change par is vaishvik manthan ke beech main bharat ki aur se is chunauti se nipatne ke liye panch amrit tatva rakhna chahta hu panchamrat ki saugat dena chahta hu away from the hectic deal making and the promises at glasgow clean energy expert siddharth singh who has also written about india's rising air pollution casts a clear eye on india's challenges in making the transition to net zero emission by 2070 and he tells me whether the target is achievable or not this is a pleasant surprise because the government of india through its various uh, senior officials has uh, over the past several months either denied or rejected the calls for a net zero target for a country like india india is after all a developing country where per capita emissions are much lower than the rest of the world much lower than the global average in fact and india's uh, accumulated emissions you know from the industrial ages are also far lower than you know the industrialized nations uh, especially the uk us and so on so uh, you know keeping that in mind india's call for a rejection of net zero targets was understandable back then so yesterday's uh, you know announcement was a surprise but a surprise that i think will put all of us to to action now and i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done what do you think uh, led to the change in india's strategy i think uh, firstly there's a recognition that something needs to be done and india cannot be the country that sits out when the rest of the world is making net zero commitments but india's net zero commitment at the same time cannot happen uh, unilaterally without the help of uh, you know the historical emitters or or those uh, countries that have advanced basis the fossil fuel economy in the past so uh, therefore india's ambition is also a little connected to the demand for a trillion dollars of investments and grants and whatever else by the west hopefully that materializes but nonetheless it's a good sign that india is pursuing it how does india go about meeting its target for 2030 2070 what are the three or the four concrete steps that we we'll need to take right away so the first, the most important precondition to all of this would be the presence of financing it doesn't necessarily have to be international finance although international finance helps uh, you know a study by the international energy agency estimated that up from about uh, 19 billion us dollars in clean energy investments in 2019 uh, investments will need to increase to 160 billion per year 2030 onwards which is not too long from now so uh, you know a, a five fold investment in clean energy investments especially into grids into renewable uh, energy capacity building and into uh, and investments into perhaps futuristic technologies that are not competitive in the market today but hope to be in the future this includes low carbon hydrogen for example so low carbon hydrogen goes into industries and will hopefully help replace coal and natural gas uh, you know in manufacturing maybe 10 or 15 years down the line it is interesting that we are having this conversation today because i think less than 2 weeks ago we did an episode on this podcast about the shortage of coal in india and how so many states were 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 staring at severe power crisis 60 or 70% of our energy requirement comes from coal for a country like 
ours, which is so dependent on coal. Uh, do you see that turnaround? Is it practical? The transition in a country like India is going to look very different from the transition in other countries. So in other countries, coal was replaced with something else. And that led to the dislocation and joblessness of people who are dependent on the coal industry. In India's case, at least for the next decade or two, what we'll see is that the existing coal industry will not grow. It may not necessarily contract, but it won't grow. So, uh, you know, in a business as usual kind of formulation, coal demand would have increased into the future. What India's uh, new ambition kind of puts into place is that the futuristic coal demand will be uh, replaced by perhaps, uh, you know, it could even be natural gas in industry, but it, uh, in the case of power generation is likely to be renewables, which is solar and wind with batteries and so on. So, uh, at least for the next decade or so, I don't foresee large scale job losses, especially in mining and so on. But after that, I think, you know, India will start having to face the same problems that the United States, the UK, Germany and other countries have had, which is, you know, mine closures, which means a lot of joblessness and in, in communities which are dependent on the coal mining uh, industry. I refer to your tweet of yesterday after uh after the Prime Minister's announcement, you said this is big, very big, and, and you said this will have implications on energy supply, transport, industry, air quality, jobs. Can you just talk a little bit about that, especially with jobs, industry, transport? This city I stay in, Mumbai, where they're making coastal roads to accommodate more cars. So how, how do you see this playing out, this, this dichotomy between clean energy, and, and then having more cars. So firstly, I think this, uh, you know, net zero emissions, such a target, it changes everything. And I don't think everyone in the world realizes that just yet. I've been saying this for the longest time that, you know, given something that is so, that could fundamentally alter the nature of India's economy, India's urban spaces, rural life, all of that, more people should be talking about it, you know. So that has not been happening. So how does this change everything? It changes everything in, in various ways. You know, for example, you, you brought up transport. Uh, as I mentioned there, that it's not that, uh, you know, your next car will have to be electric. In fact, your next car will probably be a metro, a metro train, you know, in the sense that you would not be using a personal uh, transport, uh, you know, vehicle anyway, you should be using public transport. Which means that cities will now actually have to ramp up public transport. Absolutely. We'll have to spend billions of dollars in ensuring that, you know, every city, every town has significant clean public transport. So this is, could be the electric or trains. You know, we in India often say that, oh, why is a small town getting, uh, you know, a metro? Like I, I remember going to Jaipur and everyone's like, oh, Jaipur's too small for the metro. Well, Berlin is smaller than Jaipur and Berlin has hundreds of kilometers of the metro. You know, a city like Bonn with a few lakh people has a longer metro uh, you know line than many big cities in india so i don't think there is a you know lower limit to the population in a country like india public transport and clean public transport is a must everywhere basically everywhere that we have public transport it replaces private vehicles especially fossil fuel vehicles so that's a good thing uh, similarly in the case of uh, you know industry when i say it changes everything it means that uh, you know at the global level if there are uh, taxes and tariffs on goods produced using 
coal and fossil fuels in other countries, which would mean that India may not be able to export its manufactured good to those countries. And that could create problems in the future. So India will have to invest into clean energy sources you know, as, far, as soon as it can, so that in the future, we are still able to retain those export markets. Quick final question is about China. I mean, between in Asia, I think India and China, the two sort of behemoths. How is China's, do we have a sense of how China has responded to these demands, considering they're also one of the largest uh, polluters? So China had earlier committed to a net zero target by 2060. So I think India took some comfort in the fact that China gets there 10 years before India does. And the fact of the matter is no country can independently get to net zero. You know, if uh, any country is getting to net zero, especially any large country is getting to net zero, it means that certain technologies have become cheap and commercial. So other countries can also take benefit of that. So if, if China is able to ensure that, you know, hydrogen and, you know, batteries and solar and everything else is cost competitive with all the fossil fuel alternatives, automatically India stands to benefit as well. So China is, uh, you know, going all in as far as electric mobility goes at the moment. They have, they are, they have the biggest uh, market for electric vehicles in the world. Uh, similarly, they do have ambitious targets for wind energy and so on. But at the same time, China is a huge country. So you know, until they bring forward plans for the next, you know, ten years and fifteen years we may not be able to fully understand the nature of their movements going on to the 40, 50 or 60 years from now. So I think the focus should be on what can be done over the next 10 years and all eyes on China, all eyes on, on the US, on UK and other countries. Uh, that will really help understand if India can also pick up from those kind of trends and also invest in a similar manner over the next 10, 15 years or so. Today's episode is produced by Arun George and Sunai Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TUI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at tuipodcasts at timesinternet.in.